Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Please join me in prayer before we go to scripture. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. The word of God for the people of God. For the, those of y'all who missed it, I poured out half my cup of water on the pulpit up here. and Robin didn't clean it up. So. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting afternoon. <laughs> so, All right. <clears throat> Don't you love movies with foreshadowing and Easter eggs? Don't you, don't you love movies like... Um, I didn't notice this when we originally saw Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark um, in, the, in the movies, but internet, they can, you know, take pictures and share things. But like, um, there, there's a, in the hieroglyphics in one of the scenes, there's R2-D2 and C-3PO, kind of this little Easter egg pointing to others. And, and maybe you've enjoyed movies where, you know, a character says something that later on has a lot more meaning than you ever thought. Or, you know, I, I can think of uh, the movie Labyrinth, where all these characters, when you go back and rewatch it, you realize they're toys in this girl's room. Maybe you enjoy crossovers. I haven't seen many of the Marvel movies, but I understand there's lots of, of things that kind of tie in with one another. And as I think about this, I realize how much of Scripture is when you go back and read Old Testament stories that you, you catch on things that's pointing to Jesus and that are going to be fulfilled as, as God is prophesying. And this morning's reading from Hebrews is particularly dense with things that we really don't notice without going back. So we're going we're gonna to unpack the meaning of some of this stuff because it's talking about Jesus, the apostle and high priest and faithful builder of the house and not things that we think about a lot. But when you go back and look at what this is saying, um, it it really shines light on who Jesus is and has some uh, real depth and riches uh, to things. So uh, really just need to kind of walk through this and see what the writer of Hebrews is saying. And some of y'all Y'all, if you were watching Jeopardy this week, um, you might have seen where they were saying it was a book of Paul, and you might have smugly known because you've been following that. No, we don't really know who wrote it, but 
I'm not seeing much recognition other than Barrett who told me about that earlier. So let's get on to the Hebrews. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. He's reminding us of what we looked at last week, that Jesus is um, calling and making and bringing brothers and sisters to glory. That's what he's doing. He's called us brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, and he has bring us to glory. So now for remember that you are holy brothers and sisters. Remember the one that is doing that. Remember Jesus Christ. And he picks up on what he said earlier. You'll remember they called Jesus the, the pioneer or the founder of our salvation and the faithful high priest. So what he's doing now, he's going to unpack the meaning of Jesus being a faithful high priest. Uh, consider Jesus, verse 1, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So it seems weird to hear Jesus called an apostle. But the idea of an apostle is one who has been appointed and sent with a mission and a message. That's what the apostles of Jesus were done. They had a message that he was appointing them to go and to give. And so what we see is Jesus was sent and he was appointed to a certain thing. And and he later points out that he was faithful to him who appointed him. And we, we know this, that Jesus was sent, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. And Jesus himself says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So he is the one who is an apostle because he has been sent from heaven, but he's also the high priest of our confession. Now, the section we're in is building on this theme of Jesus being better than. And we're about to have several chapters explaining Jesus' priesthood. And all of this is part of understanding Jesus is better than and superior to Moses. So we started out Jesus being superior to the prophets. Then we spent several paragraphs of Jesus being superior to the angels. And we now are going to see how Jesus is superior to Moses. And we might be tempted to think, well, why, why wouldn't Moses be with the prophets? Are we kind of going back and forth? But Moses is in a category by himself. Moses um, is one who, uh, at this time, was to be considered above angels because of his special role for, um, as God's sent prophet and messenger and mediator. All right, so a couple of things we need to catch on here. One is he's talking about priest and then pointing to Moses. And we don't think about Moses as a priest because he didn't serve in the temple. He didn't offer sacrifices. And yet, Moses, according to Psalm 99 verse six, says, "Moses and Aaron were among my priests." He goes on to talk about Samuel, who we're going to get to in a minute. There's a lot of tie-ins. I hope you had lots of coffee. Stay with me. Moses is considered a priest. He's among the priests because in that time, to be a priest was to be part of the Levitical family. Aaron was the high priest. Moses ordains him. But Aaron's Moses' brother. They're part of the same tribe. And to be of this tribe is to be part of this priesthood. And so 
that is who Moses is considered to be part of. He mediated. He gave God's law. He prayed for the people. He interceded on their behalf. So he has this place of standing before as a priest, though he himself did not serve in the temple. And so he was a faithful priest. And we're pointing to now Jesus, the faithful priest. And part of the uniqueness of Moses is shown in a passage uh, from Numbers. Um, Numbers chapter 12, verses 5 through 9 tells of a time when Moses' brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron, they're opposing him because he's married a woman from Cush, a woman from Africa. And God is mad at them from opposing her, opposing them and saying, Moses is absolutely unique. Don't you dare go against Moses. And he says, verse 5, And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. So in other words, in this passage, as, as God is speaking um, to Miriam and Aaron, he's saying, Moses is unique. When I reveal things to prophets, it's usually in dreams and visions, but I, I speak one-on-one with Moses. He speaks for me. And did you notice what he said? Um, verse 7 My servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house. And the writer of Hebrews takes that to show how Jesus is superior. Moses is faithful. Everything Moses told us is true. He gave us God's word, and he was a faithful servant. He he did what God called him to do, and he was faithful, and he had a unique role. And yet, Jesus verse 3, is counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has than the honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And just when you think you got it, okay, Moses is unique. He's a servant and faithful servant. What's with the house building thing? Are we just going to throw another metaphor in here? What's going on? Well, this was written to people who knew the history of the temple, who knew the history of David, who knew the story of the Old Testament. And so what he's doing is he's talking about faithful servant in my house. He's going to pick up this house metaphor, and he's going to use it to talk about um, God's promise and the promise of the Messiah that was seen earlier. I'm going to look at two passages. The first one is... 1 Samuel 2.35. And if you don't follow along, you might want to jot these down and look at later. Um, 1 Samuel 2.35. So this is the story of Samuel in the house of Eli. Eli was the priest, um, less than faithful priest, who has two sons who are scoundrels. And God is not going to allow these priests to continue serving at his temple. And so he says that I'm going to uh, take them out. I'm going to punish them. And 1 Samuel 2, 5, 
if I can find it. I'm sorry, 235. I have lots of references down here. 235, as he's rebuking them, um, he, he says, And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. Faithful priest. It's a promise he's going to raise someone up. He's getting rid of these bad priests. He's going to raise up a faithful priest. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And that word anointed is Messiah. Christ is is the Messiah. So it's the promise that God himself is going to raise up a priest, and God is going to build him a house. Thinking of a temple where sacrifice is going to be made. And if you're following along, you might be saying, wait a minute, but it says Jesus is the one who builds a house, and this is saying he's going to build him a house. God's building the house, and this theme is picked up again with another prophecy of a Messiah. So here's the coming Messiah who's a priest, but there's another prophecy of a coming king, the king who is the son of David. David and it's, it's all associated with the temple. Um, if you like Venn diagrams, you just go draw this out and have a blast later on. But what, what's going on is, in, in, as David moves and he builds a palace, and he says, I have this wonderful palace, and the, the ark is in a tent, and we need to build a house for the Lord. We need to build a temple. And what happens is he, he says he's going to do this. The prophet Nathan says, Sounds good to me. And God tells Nathan no. So Nathan goes back and says, actually, God says, you're not going to do this. And and, and as this is recounted in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, 1 Chronicles 17, verses 12 through 14, God says, "Um, I'm going to build you a house. And he's playing on the pun of house. House is a building, but house is also a, a, um, a dynasty, right? So we have the house of Windsor. We have the house of Tudor. We have the house of David. And God says, you're not going to build me a house, meaning a temple. I'm going to build you a house, meaning a dynasty. And he's prophesying of a king who's going to reign forever, a Messiah king who will rule over his people. And... This son, and we see in 1712, uh, God speaking of the son says, He will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him. And and so in the context, he's talking about um, Solomon, who's going to build the temple. But he's also talking about the coming descendant of David, the Messiah, who's going to build a house, who's going to be a son. All right, so you still with me? Got all of that in there? Took your notes? This is what he's picking up on. Jesus has been counted more worthy, Hebrews 3.3, more than the, as the glory of the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built on something, on someone, but the builder of all things is God. In other words, God builds the house. Jesus builds the house. The Son builds the house. It's both God and the Son who build this house. That house is you. 
your ch- the church, his people, his household. You are the ones he has purchased. You are the ones he has put together. You are the ones he has made his people. You are the sons and daughters and brothers and sisters he is bringing to glory. You are the house that he has made. Therefore, his glory is greater than Moses. So verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all God's house, which is picking up from that verse from Numbers, as a servant to testify to the things that are to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are in his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence. In other words, the glory of Christ is that he was faithful like Moses was faithful. Moses gave God's word. Christ gives God's word. Moses accomplished the mission. Christ accomplishes the mission. But Moses was a servant in the house. He's one of us. He's someone else, a sinner redeemed, one who needs to be brought to glory. But Christ is not a servant. He is a son. He has the very character of God. He is God himself. And he's not in the house among us. He is over the house as the one who has built it and reigns and leads it. He is the Messiah who is the priest and the king who is over his house, and we are his household. All right, you're ready for jeopardy. What does this mean? Well, one, it means we're a household. We're not individual Christians. God didn't save us as individuals who happen at times to be part of the church. He saved us and brought us into a family, into a community. It's so common in modern American Christianity to think of ourselves as a Christian and my walk with Jesus and my personal time and me as an individual and almost Christianity as a self-improvement program rather than the scriptural view that is over and over and over that we are brought into a community that we're not redeemed by ourselves, we're redeemed into a new family, a new people, a new household. And you belong to this household of the church, wherever that meets, wherever it is, you are part of the church. And we are part of the body of Christ. We are part of the temple of God. We are part of the household of God. All these different things that are being used to remind us, you're not at this on your own. And, and you'll never really be fulfilled trying to do this on your own. We, we have been given one another because we need one another. We need brothers and sisters who challenges us and who support us, encourage us, pray for us. And, and as we do these things, as we live our life together in the faith, serving and loving one another, that's how we do what God has called us to be. I'd, I'd just think about however God has been at work in your life to bring you here and to be part of this community, wherever you are today, to be here this morning, whatever God has been doing in your life to make that happen, the way he's been doing that in everyone's life, it's not coincidence that you're sitting across the pew from who you're sitting with. God has ordained this, making you a family because he knows you need one another. He knows I need you. He knows we, we need the different people that we're together with. It's not that we've gone around and we've picked the, the, our, our best friends and we're going to be part of a club. Glad no one pointed fingers. But we're the people that God has put together in our life together 
because he knows we need one another, and we are a blessing for one another, and you're a blessing for me. So we live our life together, but also being part of that household means we're part of that household through time. And that means as, as we look at this, as we've unraveled these passages from the Old Testament, as we see how Moses has been faithful, what Moses has said is true. And so we don't disconnect ourselves from the Old Testament. We don't say we, we just look at the Gospels and Jesus. We don't say that was the Old Testament God and God's different now. If Moses was faithful, what he was saying was true. And we see here just how much we understand about who Jesus is from understanding those stories from the Old Testament. So God's view of what is sin does not change from Leviticus to 1 Corinthians. God's promise of Messiah and redemption, the fullness of that we see even in numbers in a passage about the family arguing over in-laws. That is pointing to the coming Messiah. Everything in there is pointing to Jesus, and to know him and to understand him is to know the fullness of this story. So we're part of a community and a community that extends beyond um, history. But the main goal of what this is telling us is just as Moses was faithful, Christ is faithful. He's a faithful priest. He's faithful in everything he's told us, every promise he's made. He's faithful to it. He will keep his promise. And he's faithful to do all that he said he will do of come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, confess your sins, and you will find forgiveness. Come and be healed all that he has promised he will do. He will be faithful to all he has done. And how much of our life is because people are not faithful? How much disappointment do we have because we've been told stories that if I, if I have the, the right romantic partner, if I have the right job, if I, if I get this degree, everything will be happy and, and wonderful and nice because it can't keep it. It can't keep that promise it can't be faithful to the promise that it's made. Those are all wonderful things and good things and things to pursue, but they won't ultimately satisfy and fulfill. Thursday, some of you might have people that you're going to be eating with you're not looking forward to being with. There might be some people who, I mean, it's always family has things in it that is so discouraging um, we all have those people in our, in our lives that God has given us. How often is it because they've not been faithful, either explicitly or implicitly, to something they should have done? How, how much disappointment do we have because people don't live up to expectations and things? And, and so some of the tension we're going to have is because people haven't done what they ought to do. They haven't been faithful. But Christ is faithful. He will do what he said he will do. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never fail you. He will do what he's called to do. And that is where you can put your trust and your hope. Nothing in this world will be able to keep the promises it makes. Christ will. Trust in him and rest in him, our faithful high priest. Would you please stand and let us say what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.